Hello, hello. Uh, we're doing a special podcast today about grand jury investigation. The private citizens, Oregon Senator Dennis Lithicum and Judge Paul Nally are here, and later Dr. Henry Ely will join us as well to talk about all their work and hard work that they've done to hold CDC and their government officials accountable for all the COVID scam that's been going on for the last three years. The team together has put together a case, a petition to file for grand jury investigation. It's been going on for actually several years. Um, the initial petition got denied and now they're on appeal. And they're actually doing a landmark case because the issues on appeal is can private citizens petition the grand jury to do an investigation for government officials that do all these criminal activities and wrongdoing? Do we have the right to actually petition the grand jury and then hold these people accountable that would force the state prosecutor or the federal prosecutor to bring indictment and charges against them. It's a very fascinating case, and we're actually waiting for this decision to get oral arguments on December 5th. And there's a lot of resources and petitions that you guys can sign up to support the cause. But we're going to be talking a lot about what's been happening and what this team has been doing over the last three years. Welcome, uh, Senator Lithicum and Judge Nally. How are you guys? We are doing great. Thank you for having us tonight. Um, we'll, we'll expect Dr. Ely to show up after a bit, but um, we look forward to talking to you about this. It's an important case. We made it. Um, we'll be in the federal courthouse on December 5th, and um, we expect uh, to have a really good showing. It's oral arguments, and so there's 15 minutes allotted to um, both sides and oral arguments. The court already has all of our documentation. They've got our um, a, a response. We, we made our original um, uh, complaint. They had a response. We got turned down. We filed an appeal. They had a response. We've had a response to their response, and it goes on and on to the point where we get a court date, and this is a wonderful opportunity. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm glad that you are actually able to sustain yourself for the last three years because the legal battle continues and it can go on forever and i know and you know in reading some of the pleadings uh they really made it hard um to make you jump hoops to prove your rights to even file the petition in the first place the impact uh whatever happens and and i hope more people like you will join all over the country to have this right to sustain this right and continue to file and even you know when you win um, that would open up the entire structure of how private citizens can then redress their grievances against the government officials, which the DOJ is supposedly supposed to do that, but they're not doing that, and including the state uh, prosecution offices and stuff. So maybe we can talk about how you got involved, uh, what led you, because I know that in the state of Oregon, you already experienced the government overreach and all the issues uh, in your own state, including, I think you mentioned that the one pharmacy that the government shut down, what that would serve so many people. Yeah, we, I have a, a a giant district and one of my counties is uh, Lake, Lake County, Oregon, and it's 8,000 square miles or so, uh, which is nearly the size of New Jersey. So it's a giant agricultural timberland, rural landscape. Um, I'm in rural parts of Oregon. 
And um, the governor uh, came in with, you know, this experimental lockdown mindset um, that was the closest equivalent to martial law that Oregonians had ever seen. Yeah. There was the essential business and the non-essential business and non-essential businesses were told you've got to stay home, you've got to keep your door locked. Essential businesses were allowed to open, but they had to follow the rules. People had to wear masks. Masks were required at that time. And um, they had to uh, be obedient to the social distancing laws and that sort of thing. And um, in this gigantic 8,000-square-mile county, there is a single pharmacy in the largest municipality. So you can tell it's mostly open space. There's only one pharmacy within the entire 8,000 square miles. The governor's team came in and red tagged the store, locked the door and told this pharmacy they could not come back in and uh, have business until they were in complete and full compliance with the rule that said, you have to mask, wear masks in demand. All of your individuals wear masks um, while in the store. So apparently some somebody, some Karen in the audience or nearby neighbor, or even we don't even know where the, the complaint came from, said, I'm afraid for my life which is, uh, you know, a a complete fabrication of statistical reality. And I want you and your henchmen to close that store down. And they did. So it turns out this isn't about um, public health because they would have left the only pharmacy open. All of the other pharmaceuticals that were being dispensed across all of the other days that the pharmacy would be open were no longer available because the doors were padlocked by the state. Yeah, and, that's uh, way beyond. Like that, it does. The government even have a right to do something like that? You know, where no, 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 no right whatsoever. And and uh, they were issued a fine for nearly ten thousand dollars. It was five hundred dollars for the um, health violation. So that's yeah. out of the 10,500 is not a big deal. In other words, it wasn't really dangerous in terms of the regard for public health. The other 9,000 was because of willful, willful non-compliance. The store owners, the P, all the employees were wearing masks However, as individuals came in, they did not demand that those customers put masks on. Of course, many customers did, you know, self-impose the mask and wear the masks according to the official rules. But the store owner didn't demand that the customers... Well, see, that's, that's the problem because all those companies like Costco and any major retailers, they were forcing people... To that you cannot enter any establishment without a mask, including doctor visits. Any place you wanted to go, you had to wear a mask back then. They were all worried about government being able to come down and find them and charge them for not mandating that. But then that carried through. That was violating every single constitutional right that it could by the people. Not just that they violated like the CDC um, data issues and stuff like that. 
but it actually goes way beyond that. It's like, does the government have the right to overreach and suspend constitution in order to enact emergencies and declare whatever they want to declare? They could say everybody has to wear red shoes. You know, is it, do they have the right to do that? No. Um, but I'm going to welcome Dr. Ely. How are you? Uh, this is Dr. Henry Ely. He's the founder of Energetic Health Institute, and he's actually leading the charge for all the COVID-Con 21, the seminars, and also he's the main person behind this grand jury investigation petition. So welcome, Dr. Ely. Seema, thank you so much for having me. We're having some serious Wi-Fi issues right I now. Know. Been really, uh, it's been a lot of fun, actually, today yeah. to see much they can mess with you while you're just trying to talk the truth we're just trying to peacefully assemble here um, I know. So, so god <laughs> hopefully we'll pray that god will help and guide this podcast yeah so let's talk about your work and what you've done and i know you've done a tremendous amount of work and a lot of seminars and education uh, this has been ongoing for several years and you you wrote peer review articles that details all their crimes uh, which is wonderful that you actually published all those so no one has an excuse now right if, if they go through your pleadings and what you've written they can all find every re resource available to them to actually start this in their own home state if anybody wishes to do that but i know it's a big journey it's a it's a big journey but i think it's got to be fueled by the love we have of freedom and the love we yeah. have for our country and it gives us hope because you know for those three dark years the earlier years especially i don't think people realize that they, they probably felt helpless like they couldn't fight this fight when every agency government corporations and even individuals started policing other individuals to comply and so you know there was a little scary time and i i've been involved in that scary time when they started doing the health pass you know and especially the masking you couldn't go to any retail anywhere without wearing those masks and now For you know sure. we see this fight so i'm i'm really hopeful that you'll get this oral argument victory you know that we're waiting for well we we certainly expect a victory um on december 5th um yeah. we are incredibly grateful to everyone who is supporting what we're doing we are doing this definitely for the people i'm indebted and and grateful for senator dennis Linthicum, senator kim thatcher judge nally yeah. everybody on our team that is just so instrumental in making sure that freedom is forever and freedom is for all you know that's that's what it comes down to for us is um, love has got to be greater than fear and it has to be witnessed in our actions and uh, the thing that we all have in common is we love our country very much and we love the people within our country very much willing to do this work. And we've, I think, blazed a trail here for people to pick up the work we've done and to be able to create similar actions at county levels, at state levels, and, and maybe even at federal levels. There's been so much information that has come available since we filed since we filed over a thousand pages of evidence has been fantastic uh there's so many researchers that have been coming out and showing tremendous things and the reality is that as soon as we get in front of a grand jury with this information and that grand jury starts doing their job and asking questions and subpoenaing i don't even know if that's a word so giving a subpoena to the yeah. right people 
hopefully all of us, right? And yeah. people like Ed Dowd and people like Kevin McKernan and people who are doing the work, uh, Sabine Hazan, as soon as we get in front of them, it's undeniable. We have a mountain of evidence that is larger than a thousand Himalayas to look oh, at. Sure. There's, just, there's just no mm-hmm. place for them to be able to tell us that what we have amassed does not amount to criminal data fraud and clear willful misconduct. And the reason, Seema, we're going after willful misconduct is very important for your audience to understand. The protections that Pfizer and Moderna and um, now Novavax and Johnson & Johnson before they requested to have their EUA pulled, the protections that they have under the PrEP Act and under the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act allow them carte blanche to be able to poison Americans and Americans have supposedly no avenue for or to hold these people accountable. Yeah, that's a problem. You know, all they understand is money. So yeah. what we have to do is be able to attack the money. And what willful misconduct does, once a grand jury hands down a presentment or an indictment, that elucidates willful misconduct, then it opens the doors for every single person who has been injured or killed by these shots, the families of the people who've been killed by these damn shots, to yeah. go after these companies for and sue them literally into oblivion. December 5th, we have a chance, and that's what we've been fighting for, that chance to get in front of the grand juries and tell the truth. And that's what this whole thing is about, being able to tell the truth to people who have the power and authority to do something about that truth. And that's the hallmark of what this country is founded on. And if we lose that, then we've lost our country and we're not willing to give this country up without a fight. So I say to Bill Gates and to all Klaus Schwab's and Fauci's of the world that I love my country and I'm going to fight you to the death for it if I have to. And I think that's Um, what we should all join in for that. So how can people support your efforts? Um, I know that they can sign a petition on your website, which I will post all the links uh, at the description, but how can they support you either by donating their time, money, petition? Like, what can they do to help you guys to achieve your goals? If I had a dream, it would be for people to take the work that we've already done and start filing similar petitions in every county in the United States. America, we just got to get to one. And you know, that's we- actually a very good point because by doing that, what that does is that those that people that get denied, um, they would end up on appeal just like your case has. But what that does is that with enough people appealing and going higher and higher courts, that would force the Supreme Court to make a ruling at some point. Because um, I'm assuming, like, if oral argument, if if it's some for some reason um, they don't find in favor of the plaintiffs, are you prepared to appeal again, or is there is this the last stop? We're prepared to go all the way to the Supreme Court. Whoever yeah. loses this oral argument is going to file, and I do think, but Judge Nally can correct me, but I do think that the next step is the Supreme Court for this. And we knew from the moment we filed that this case had uh, Supreme Court written all over it. The important thing here is remember the attorney generals in each of the 50 states can invoke a grand jury. They can impanel a grand jury 
that's happened in Florida, but that that's high enough up the tree that people feel like, how do they get their uh, state attorney general to impanel a grand jury? Yeah. At the county level, at the county level, it's your local DA, the guy you have had lunch with, the guy it, that you see on the street, the guy that your wife um, is friends with and goes to your neighborhood church or you see at the soccer game. That individual is much more approachable. And therefore, when we talk about the 3,400 some odd counties within the United States of America, that's the place to take these petitions. Every county has somebody who's been injured by the fraud that we see the CDC and the Department of Health and Human Services and the NVSS, the National Vital Statistics yeah. Service, perpetrating on our, uh, on our public welfare under the color of law. And so at the attorney, at the district attorney level in your local county, man, this is a powerful opportunity and we're looking forward to a great day in court on December 5th. And I pray for success for that one. So that's a good point to have all the local counties and individuals come in at a much smaller scale go to their local DA. Uh, what about the sheriff's office? Do they play any role in perhaps arresting some of these people? <laughs> <laughs> they certainly deserve it. Yeah, the, the, what's interesting is the, the, the sheriff's office is a, um, it is a individual, is actually in, in most county in, in the state of Oregon, and I'm not sure about other states, is the highest uh, law enforcement agency within the state at yeah. the county level. Um, so he's he sits um, he re responds directly to the people because the people elect him. The same position that the district attorney carries in most counties. The district attorney is an elected position and reports directly to the people. And both of those offices get funded by the county commissioners or the parish supervisors or parish commissioners. However, your uh, county terminology lays that out. But so there's uh, county commissioners could also uh, be a great uh, method to get to the DA to have him impanel a grand jury because county commissioners actually fund the local district attorney's office. They fund the sheriff's office and they, um, however, those individuals report directly to the people because they're um, elected by the majority in, within that county boundary. These are all avenues. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of counties in Oregon have three commissioners, probably half have three, half have five commissioners. That's those are five different individuals that in uh, people within the county could go talk to, you know, seek counsel with have a petition, show up to a public meeting and get a response from all of those people at the ground level. This is how you get momentum and you just spring up a grassroots effort. We're trying, we're trying it here in the federal court and this is at the federal level, but this is a great example. You can go to beyond the con dot com and download our material you can download our complaint you can download the backup material you can download all the evidence that we have amassed 
And there's more now because of Freedom of Information Act and uh, exposure that the CDC has reluctantly been forced to give us. And now that we see this fraud happening in every crevice and every cranny of the federal government, it's time people got involved at the local level. Yeah, definitely. I, I, all the resources are there. There's, uh, and I will post those links. You have all the pleadings, including the peer review uh, research papers. Uh, what about like a template? So I guess I'll ask uh, Judge Nally on like the laws that you use to um, be able to bring this petition that I, I saw a lot of clever laws, the agencies, uh, the the administrative act and other acts that the CDC and others have violated. I never would have thought that, that you could actually use that, but they probably violated a whole slew of laws just by doing one act. And then there's, you know, if the grand jury actually took the time to investigate, they would be guilty for a thousand years, I'm sure. Do you think there's like a template that you guys can produce that maybe all these other private individuals can use to help themselves? Uh, as Senator Lithicum was, was talking about, you know, that every state at the state level that they could do. Yes, ma'am. They can and they should. The, what people need to understand is the scope of the power of a grand jury. And, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the federal grand jury, even though the scope of its power is equal to those of the states. But the people need to understand their local grand jury starts every one of its investigations in their county. That means that the start of their, their jurisdiction for them to start is defined by the county line. What people don't understand is that when your grand jury starts looking at evidence, if a piece of evidence takes requires them to cross that county line and go to the next county or perhaps cross the state line and go two or three states away, they can do that. They can go into the halls of Congress if that's where the evidence leads them. Right. Because it's, it's doesn't it all then become federal laws? And because it's all of this is kind of went all over the country, right? Across interstate lines. Bless so little pea picking heart, young lady. <laughs> because so, it just so happens that the United States Congress many years ago, created a statute. And that statute, 18 U.S.C. 3041. What is, what is that about? That gives every judge, no exception, every judge in every state the authority to handle federal criminal cases. Without going to federal court? You don't need to go get a federal judge's permission. If you, for example, witness someone committing a federal felon or, or even a misdemeanor, you have the right to place that individual under arrest, transport him immediately to the nearest magistrate in your county. I'm not talking about a federal magistrate judge. I'm talking about your local federal, your local county magistrate judge and present him before that judge for having violated a federal law. Your judge, your little magistrate judge right there in your county, has a grant of jurisdiction from the United States Congress to consider your testimony, see your evidence, and issue a federal arrest warrant. So is this giving like a private citizen right to arrest officials? And no, then you no. always had the right of arrest. 
We do? <laughs> I didn't know that. So, I mean, on a practical that's why, level, that's why. Think, what can people do without expending a lot of resources? Because you know the legal system, if you truly do it through the traditional form, it's very expensive. It's very time-consuming. You so are correct. Citizens don't think they can do anything. You well, know? let me let me use this platform right here, right now, to help educate all of your listeners. First off, if you see someone committing a criminal act, of course there's a tort involved. So yeah, you can go sue. You can bring a suit. But if you sue in state court, it's going to cost you about two hundred and fourteen dollars. If you go sue in federal court, it's going to cost you four hundred and something dollars. But if you go to your local magistrate with an application for a warrant hearing, that's twenty dollars. If you go to the, if you go sit down at your computer and type up a petition to your grand jury and hand deliver it to the bailiff to put into the grand jury foreman's hands, or you may run into the foreman or some grand juror, like a lady did down here in Georgia a few months ago. She wanted to take an election matter to the grand jury, and she knew the day the grand jury was going to convene, but she wasn't really sure how she was going to get into the grand jury door to get her petition laid out for the grand jurors to consider. Well, lo and behold, on her way from the parking lot to the front door of the courthouse, she ran into a gentleman and they struck up a brief conversation. And he inquired, just as a casual conversation matter, what brings you courting today? <laughs> <laughs> and she tells him, said, well, I was hoping to get to see the grand jury. I got a case here. Well, bless Pat, little lady, it's your lucky day. I'm a grand juror. I'll take oh, your wow. material and walk it right into our right into our chambers and he did wow and she got heard she got to go to the grand jury there in chatham county if you if you want to go to the grand jury all you got to do is sit out your computer and type up a petition to your grand jury to hear your case and then you walk it down and hand it to the foreman or some other grand juror or the bailiff or you could give it to the clerk but let's say case. that the grand jury finds something in order to want to indict them. What happens then if the uh, the state prosecutor or no one wants to prosecute it because they've already, like in your case. It's not their choice. Well, I, let me rephrase that. Yes, it is. A district attorney always has what's known as prosecutorial discretion. So he can take any case that comes out of a grand jury and he can say, well, we're not going to prosecute this case. We're going to enter into a plea deal with this guy or this lady. Yeah. And they can do that unless the grand jury tells them otherwise. If it is a serious case, the grand jury is up in arms. They're not going to sit still. So they can force the prosecutor to... They, they can bring the, the prosecutor in and they can tell them, well, this case is going to be, is going to be prosecuted. No ifs, yeah. ands, or buts. Do you want to do it or do we replace you and bring in a special prosecutor? So that's wonderful. Well, that means if this case is, you know, victorious, really that'll change the game. Absolutely. For anybody to be able to bring, bring on a case. Absolutely. For example, in this case, right, this particular case, if the attorneys that have shepherded this case as far as it's gotten, if they're not comfortable presenting a criminal matter to a jury, I don't know. I, I I think Stephen could handle it quite admirably, but let's just say maybe he might have some reservation. There is nothing in the world to keep the federal grand jury in Portland, Oregon, 
from reaching out to New York and say, hey, Mr. Alan Dershowitz, come on down here. Son, we got a case we want you to prosecute. Well, that would be wonderful if they did that. They can bypass the Department of Justice. At the local level, the the reason this is important at the local level is this is where the grass grows. This is where you have relationships. This story is an individual who's walking from the parking lot to the courthouse and, you know, met somebody. In Oregon, for example, our uh, Portland District Attorney in Multnomah County District Attorney had uh, some 484 or 64 individuals that got picked up in the Antifa riots where they were burning down the federal, trying to burn down the federal courthouse that we're talking about. You may recall that during the, you know, post-Trump administration, Portland was on fire. These are Antifa individuals, they're rioters, whatever. That district attorney, in his prosecutorial discretion, decided to let those individuals go free on their personal cognizance, promised to never do that again. Yes, you're free to go, you're free to go, or however that went down. The point is that district attorney is now up for election. He's running for his life. He's trying to act like he believes in law and order, even though we can see statistically he doesn't. And this is where the grass grows and we elect a different individual to replace that district attorney and actually prosecute the crimes that we see in the Portland streets. I'm not actually up in the Portland area, and so um, I, I'm speaking a little out of my district, um, you know, and the, I see Judge Nally's laughing at me as I say I'm, you know. Keep it up, Senator. Yeah, yeah. So, but the point is, this is the beauty of the 3,400 counties and your representatives at the local level. This is the beauty of local government caring and procuring your rights, actually securing your rights as guaranteed under the federal U.S. Constitution. Absolutely. Yeah, which is awesome, which you know, I think that's what the lack of education that I think everybody has, the, civ- the basic civics of how the government works, what rights do we really have, how do we execute those, and they kind of get stuck, you know, and not everybody can fight a big battle against corporations and the government, so having it at, you know, the grassroots levels and have it simply, I think what your case has done is very, is fantastic. Yes, Dr. Ely. Yeah, I'm just kind of wanted to add on to what you were saying and that, yeah, there, there's two real deficits of education in our country. The first is in our own bodies. We don't know how to take care of our own bodies, so we are able and subject to lies and subject to fraud. And, uh, and all they have to do is make us a little bit afraid. And then we give away more of our power, and we put ourselves in terrible situations. There is a very interesting corollary here, Seema, between what goes on in medical school and what goes on in law school. In medical school, doctors are not taught about vaccines. Doctors are not taught about how vaccines injure what's in vaccines, how many people get hurt by vaccines, how to read vaccine inserts, and it's intentional. It's intentional so that a doctor can go out in the public and can start his practice and start pumping people full of these poisons 
with the belief that they are safe and effective and of course get compensated for being a part of that fraud and that's yeah. what get where they get kickbacks well the corollary in law school is lawyers attorneys are not taught about the grand jury system They're and not. so what what happens is everybody watches the tv and we all think of juries as trial juries and I believe, Judge Nally, they're called pettit juries. Am I yeah. right with that? Yeah. Okay. And what happens is we have this vague understanding of how the entire system works. And this whole process for me has been a huge education. I'm not an attorney. I didn't know how we were going to get from point A to point B. But you start talking to people like Judge Nally and our other expert, Kelly Mordecai, who understand the power of the grand jury and how the system really works. And now you start going, oh, well, wait a minute. The system is still there. It's in place. It has a lot of cobwebs on it. It has a lot of dust on it. We got to go get some lemon pledge, some organic lemon pledge, meaning some elbow grease. <laughs> and we got to clean all that stuff off yeah. and start using this. And the best place to use it, like Senator Linthicum has been expressing, like you're talking about, is at the county level. And the process for everybody is not going to be clean. We, we, we're not no. going to go from hey, I tried this once and oh my God, it worked. And I didn't know it was sitting there the whole time. No, what we are going to have to demand is that the system works the way it's supposed to work. And that's what we're doing. We're demanding of the court. I'm not asking the court's permission to engage yeah. the grant. I'm demanding that the court honor a citizen's right, especially two elected officials' right to inform a grand jury without any prosecutorial interference, which Amen. is what's been going on, of what's been happening, because it is for the grand jurors to decide whether there is something there worthy of investigation, because a grand jury has this charge to investigate all allegations, if for no other reason to prove that no crime has been committed. Grand jury system was developed with the notion and idea and understanding that governments will become corrupt. It is innate to the it human psyche that yeah. people of power are going to seek more power and be able to create laws that are unconstitutional, laws that they can go around, they can commit crimes, and then they can absolve themselves. Who, like Senator Linthicum says all the time, who's going to watch the watchers? That's the responsibility of we, the people, to watch the watchers. And the best place to begin that is at a county level. So what I would encourage people to do is, you want to help us? Great. The mm -hmm. best way you help us is get in this fight. And how do you get into this fight? You get in this fight knowing that your job is to demand, not to ask, but to demand. And how do you make that demand? You take information that you can verify, that you can prove, and you make sure it gets in the hands of people like you and me who sit on these grand juries and would be interested in this. At this point, this topic that we are discussing is significantly in the public interest. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Everyone knows someone who has been injured in some capacity by either the mask mandate, the closed business mandate, the damn shots. Something is going, we but all even, know people. Yeah. Everyday so, citizens, even without physical injuries, they've been locked down. They've been persecuted. So it's not, it's everyone who lost their constitutional rights to gather, to assemble, you know, and no one has a right for false arrest in house imprisonment for whenever they felt like it. And no right. one has a right exactly. to and go to a private store 
and then have them be in compliance right. with the government as their agents. That's Senator Thatcher says that all yeah. She says it all the time where she comes out and she says, it doesn't make any sense to me why Costco's and the larger chain stores were allowed to stay open, but mom and pop shops yeah. had to shut down. That's illegal to do yeah. that, right? That's yeah. discrimination on whole, so many levels. But, you know, you said something when I first came on that was very interesting. You said, well, can the Constitution be suspended during a time of emergency? Yeah, yeah. No. The Supreme Court has already ruled on this. This in the 1950s, if I'm not mistaken. I wish I could find the judge's ruling so I could have it on hand. We'll have to pull this up as a team because we've already discussed this ad nauseum. But yeah. the ruling was very clear. The Constitution can never be suspended for this reason. Perfect. The Constitution was formed during a time of emergency. Yep. That would make every single government official, anybody who complied with all this stuff and mandated on other people, guilty. It, guilty of guilty as charged. Absolutely one hundred percent. But now you're talking about the next step. Investigation, because everybody has their right to be to their day in court, right? We everybody yeah. is innocent until proven guilty. Well, the process is the grand jury seeks is a court of inquiry. It is going to investigate that and then hand down either an indictment or a presentment. If there is an indictment and there is a is there is a prosecution, now that person is presumed innocent until proven guilty in that court of law by a jury of the pettit jury of their peers as well. And right. this is the way the system is supposed to work. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I would love to see Fauci try to defend himself. Yeah. I would love to see Bill Gates yeah. try to defend and I would love to see all of the corruption that's going on. I don't know if you all heard this, but our good friend, uh, an attorney, Tom Renz, did something uh, last Monday that was just mind-blowing. He went to Congress with uh, Representative Green, I forget, MG, uh, MG, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Ass that likes to work yeah, out and isn't afraid to say what she wants to say, okay? Um, and Senator Johnson was sponsoring it. You know, there have been some people, and he actually got... I think it was double digit. It was like, he think Tom was telling me that like 11 to 13 people were actually in the room listening, which is a huge win for us because before you couldn't get one person in a room. Yeah. But something came out of that that blew me away. He had proof from the Department of Defense that a soldier in 2014 had been inoculated for COVID-19. Wow. So they had now, this planned a long, long ago. Now, our research on my other group that I work with, trying to help people recover, you know, when I work with Dr. Ed Groove, Dr. Brian Artis, Dr. Janice Schmidt, and our research yeah. teams that we have supporting us on there, our research dates back all the way to 1968. That This has been in development in some way, shape, or form since 1968. And if you really want to go through the historical origins of it, it dates all the way back to Operation Paperclip when we brought 1,600 Nazi scientists from Nazi Germany into this country and said, keep your work going. So yeah, we have been in plan problem. for a long time. Because I, 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 about a couple of years ago when all this happened, I was also researching, and it's unfortunate that I deleted the video, but I found on their own government websites of the early protocols, the the lockdown, the six feet apart, all of these protocols that, and they were using Michigan State as a test case 
to carry yeah. out all of these protocols that we know about. Mm -hmm. And so that was back in 2005 when they started all of that. So I know it was at least that old where they were. Well, it was in 2007 where they changed the definition of what a pandemic was from the statistical definition where you had to have a fatality rate of, I think it was 3% in order yeah. to qualify for epidemic or pandemic status. They changed that to, well, it's whatever we say. And when you start, the other yeah, when you, start you pointed out, country, because a lot of your research says that basically CDC was changing definitions and data protocols, right? Because of that, I think you, uh, there's a huge write up on the death certificates, how they. The, the big problem that they had, Seema, was they didn't know how to scale production on yeah. this technology. They didn't have ability to do scale on this until 2015 with the advent of CRISPR technology. And this is yeah. something that's really funded by Bill Gates. After 2015, they now have the means of scalability. And that's was a key piece to it. And if you recall, there was a video by Anthony Fauci that is very infamous, predicting a pandemic with a gleam in his eye and a smile on his face during President Trump's administration. Yeah. Yeah. How do you predict that? Yeah. You know how do you, how do you put a pandemic on the calendar? How yeah. was it that Johns Hopkins University, after hosting Event Two Hundred One in October of 2019? which was a full final systems check for all of their monitoring. How do you know that you're going to need that? Oh, it's pandemic preparedness. No, it's called pandemic planning. You all are planning right. to put this together and you have to be, I'm going to say a word that is politically incorrect and I don't give a damn right now. You have to be retarded to have heard the amount of information that we have in the last four years and think that this was a a climate change natural event that went on that started in a wet market with bat soup oh, in China. yeah, which okay. that alone changed a billion times. I think right. there's some sort of deception that people have accepted, like they're blinded from certain truths, you know, no matter what you tell them, half of the population wants to stay asleep. Well, there's a trick for, for helping people come out of that darkness. Do you know what that trick is? What's that? You have them pull open their phone and you have them look up the questions that you know will guide them to where they want to be. Now, a person who isn't willing to open up their phone and start looking around based upon the questions you've submitted is beyond hope. You can't help yeah. those people. But the people who do open their phone, something magical happens. And this is psychology. We got to work on the level that the Nazis were working on. They're brilliant at this. And that is very simple. Somebody will reject what you tell them or what you try to force upon them as information. But if they discover it for themselves, and that's the act of having a phone on and looking up through a search engine certain things, I would have them read the peer-reviewed paper. I'd say, hey, can you search this term up? Can you search this paper up? Can you read to me what that says? The act of them doing it engages a process in their brain called neurosynaptic plasticity. And what it does is it breaks through the cognitive dissonance and all the lies. And they feel like Christopher Columbus, or let's just say right. somebody who isn't horrific, yeah. who found something great. And they accept it as, look what I found. And you know what's so special about that moment? They feel smart. And now, <laughs> once they've seen that information, they can never unsee it. Better way to learning than watching somebody that you love die, which has happened to me on numerous occasions over the last couple of years because yeah. people fell for the lies. Why did they feel for the lies? 
because they only trusted what they saw on TV and weren't asking the right questions. This is where we can be of enormous service to our fellow Americans without telling them what they are supposed to think or imposing upon their freedoms by simply asking them to open up their phone and can you answer this question for me? Can you look this up? Can you yeah, read it to me? That's a good point. You know, the bigger issue here really is the because of these mandates and protocols in every state, it just came like a dark cloud over people where I think they were feeling like they didn't have a choice. Uh, you know, because many of them would lose their jobs if they didn't comply. So I think a big part of it is just having a basic civic lesson on how to redress problems in the court of law. So as a senator, like, what can you do and how do you get involved? Like, what would be your role in as, as far as the governmental body to help combat some of the corruption and the usurper of power that the government's taking. Yeah, this this is a hard question for everybody to answer because um, what you were just describing is this onslaught of information. You'll yeah. remember the the uh, the chirons going across the bottom of the screen. Um, where they're giving the numbers about people dying on a daily basis. And this this was only to instill fear. This, this wasn't for any useful purpose. This was to use misinformation to cause people to be afraid. The science was mediocre or um, illogical, unreasonable, and um, uh, uh, unqualified with regard to the truth that was being portrayed, but they got enough people to be afraid that they wanted to step up and um, be be part of the, quote, solution coming from government. You asked me about what, what I can do as a senator. For example, within my, um, within my district, I hardly wore a mask, but when I went to Senate, the Senate rules had a requirement that to be on the floor, you had to wear a mask. So I wore a red bandana that made me look like a bandito. (laughs) um, I I did not wear the silly blue mask. I didn't wear an N95. I didn't wear a spray paint mask. I wore a red bandito mask and it worked. They didn't care. All they required was facial covering. But the rule was you had to wear a mask to be on the Senate floor. And I wanted to be on the floor because I wanted to be able to speak to these issues. And I wanted to be able to make my case. And I wanted to be able to show that this is absurd. All these other senators in their little blue masks with their earlobes, some people have two masks to this day. And you know. Yeah. What are they thinking? How does this work? And they they are on the floor. They take their mask off as they walk down the hallway and go up to their office. And it's like, you guys, don't you understand, you know, the virus protocol that we've known forever? And, you know, I'm I'm beginning to doubt that these people have any sincerity and that they're simply operating to keep the image alive and keep the 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 facade yeah. um projected on the public and so 
The best thing each of us can do in our walks of life at the grocery store, in the Senate, at your uh, county commissioner meeting, in all of these places, the best thing we can do is live our life like we know the truth because we do know the truth. And every time we start to let them snow us is when we get weak in the knees, we go, oh, maybe I'm not so sure. Common sense is what we need more than the experts. The experts turn out to be fraudulent. In Oregon, for example, here's just another example. Because our state has been 49 and 50 out of the 50 states in high school graduation and education proficiency, the governor, um, last governor, disbanded proficiency requirements to graduate from high school. So now there are no proficiency requirements, and we call those guys are the experts. They're the ones training our kids, the next generation, our grandkids. And then they just installed a new uh, Department of Education director who said, I'm going to continue with the removal of all proficiency standards. And and this is like, well, this is insane. And yet people are doing it because the government told them to do it. So I have a school district in my um, Senate district that said it's okay if the um, school district gets rid of proficiency requirements, but we're going to ask students who graduate from Eagle Point School District to exhibit skills efficiency. So now by renaming it to skills efficiency instead of proficiency requirements, all of a sudden they can um, have their school district exhibit essential skills uh, requirement. And at the local level, at the grassroots, at the local school board level, all of a sudden these people have their students getting diplomas that actually have a proficiency standard, although it's called a skill essential skills standard instead of a proficiency standard. We have the ability at the local level, you cannot let the experts run your life because it turns out they're not experts in anything except ruining your life and growing government. Yeah, people have to take responsibility for what's happening to them at a local level. The, you know, the problem is they got used to the system that was growing around them. And the two people that they trusted the most were doctors and the government officials. They would do whatever they were told to do without even thinking about it. And I think now there's a big awareness that's been raised that you have to question even your doctor, even your government official. So I'm glad actually, Senator, that you're here with the fight because now I think uh, people can realize that not every government official is corrupt, that there are many people that are fighting the fight along with you know, doctors, um, Dr. Ely and Dr. Artis and everybody else that's been speaking about this from the beginning. And I listened to all of them because we needed that voice. Otherwise, there was no way to tell, like, what is going on, you know. So I was really happy to see that there was a huge community building uh, as the anti-propaganda machine that was telling that everything is okay. Go get your five, six, seven, eight, you know. That, I think, has been a huge blessing. 
so you made very good points that everything you know should go down to the local le level to help support your cause. Uh, is there any other information that you think would be useful as to what people should know about your grand jury petition? Yeah, there there's tons of information they should know. So it, it's hard to kind of, you know, crack the lid on that. What yeah. does that look like? I, I would send people to beyondthecon.com. Sure. And, and we have uh, all of this material to download. If you're interested in what, how common questions about the grand jury, we've got a little document there and you can download it and you can read these common questions and see the simple answers and go, oh, that's not so tough. That's not so bad. I can do that. And um, and we have the material and we've got the data. We've got, the, you know, this. It, uh, oh, you're, you're going to it. I saw my screen change and I thought I lost everything. Oh, no, so I wanted to share the website where you have collected all this uh, information. So there, there's, under the download tab, you can get all the court documents. Um, and then also you have videos that you talked about, in, including the detailed information of what happened with the death certificates, how they manipulated the data and changed the requirements, which forced the doctors to include much more pretty much label everything as COVID to get paid and then ignore the real cause of what caused the death. So I think probably 80 to 90% of all these COVID deaths were false, maybe even 95%. Because even CDC, I think they came out later saying that only 6% of all the reported COVID deaths were actual COVID and then everything was whatever. Um, but then here is your team as well, Senator Kim Tatcher, and then your attorney, is the one that I, I saw that would actually, is it Stefan uh, Junkins that wrote all the pleadings and filed, and he's actually the one that's going to be doing the oral arguments, right? That's correct. That's yeah. correct. And um, the, the, the thing you were just mentioning with regard to how they, you know, engineered the massive death count yeah. um, on the death certificates is they actually changed in March of 2020, they changed how a medical examiner completes a death certificate. So by changing that little rule, because we're all rule followers here in the United yeah. States of America, we just follow the rules. And since we're all rule followers, they change the rules for the medical examiner. They start filling this out. And it turns out there is no a symptomatic difference between uh, someone who supposedly had COVID-19 or someone who had influenza A or influenza B or some other influenza-like illness. You're 100% on point on that one. In fact, even their own government official like Fauci and others have written in writing that there's no tests that makes any differentiation between COVID versus influenza or any, it's all, to, you know, as far as testing goes, it's all the same, whether you have, I don't even know how they would market even for influenza, but regardless, like all of that was made up, you know, like they were trying to test the PCR testing, which I, I guess you have talked about that too, as part well, of your data collection. And, and for the public to recognize what's going on here is they basically have this um, 
They've enticed individuals to commit fraud. Instead of writing pneumonia or influenza A on the death certificate, they write COVID. The question is, why would you write COVID? Because there's an, there's money behind it. And so now we've got this moral danger where you've now incentivized physicians, medical examiners, local county coroners to modify what they would have normally filled out because that's not part of the rule system. The rules were in place since 2003 and they were in place all the way until 2020 for 17 years. They were just fine as they were. They only changed the rule regarding COVID. They didn't change any other rules. There was nothing else that they tinkered with. And they tinkered with that because there was this giant monetary deficit spending print, money printing press um, need to get more people to participate in this fraud. And they did it on a gigantic scale. It's just ginormous. We have another individual who's not on the call tonight who can go through the statistics and maybe we ought to meet together again when yeah, Keith Williams is, is up and better because he can share the uh, statistical and financial realities of what this fraud looks like. Yeah, so I think maybe if we end up doing another podcast, maybe a little details on the crimes that you research and maybe talk more about that and what's in your petition. Uh, so the question here is like, um, so there's Dr. Ely and two senators are the plaintiffs. How did that happen? How are like the, yourself as a plaintiff? How did why why the senators yeah it's a it's it's somewhat of a, a happenstance uh all of us were in oregon at the time and since we were all in oregon we we caught each other in different avenues of conversation whatever and um i teamed up with senator thatcher because the two of us were um arguing against the one-size-fits-all shutdown that was happening in Oregon at the governor's whimsy. And because we were writing letters to the governor and requesting legislative action to stop the governor and her emergency actions, um, we were already in cahoots. And then I got introduced to Dr. Ely and um, his research team and that uh, that paper that we have, that peer-reviewed paper is several uh, several hundred pages or 120 pages of documentation. and um, and that convinced me this this is a great avenue to um, to take on the CDC and these uh, giant operators that have so negatively impact our local community. Yeah, definitely. So I guess this is going to be a dumb question uh, for you, Senator. Do you have any power over the governor when they're corrupt? How are they able to do what they're doing? Yeah, the, the we we don't essentially have any power um, uh, other than as we're seeing here the power of the grand jury, the power who will watch the watchers. The governor is supposed to be responsible to the, her constituents, which are all of us in Oregon. We have a majority of Democrat um, legislators in both the Senate and in the House. So when I make a motion or try to pass a bill that says we ought to 
rein in the governor's emergency power, I never get enough votes to make that happen. Yeah. But that's uh, now at the grassroots level, that gives all of those people within the local county and within the Senate districts the ability to hold those representatives and those senators accountable because their lives have been ruined. They've lost their livelihood. They've lost their business. Their uh, restaurant was shut down. Their card store was shut down. Uh, the gift store that they had on the corner of Main Street was shut down. There's and the pharmacy was locked yeah. up because they didn't follow the masking rule. And um, it's just shameful what we allow these um, tyrant wannabe tyrants to do to the public at large. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for getting involved and being the plaintiffs. Um, so, Dr. Ely, you have a bigger team. So can you explain what the COVID-Con conferences are all about? And these are some of the in individuals that are involved, right? Yes, we, we put on two uh, events um, for two reasons. One primarily is education for the public on the topic because as you remember in 2020 and 2021 we weren't really allowed to talk about these things and certainly a lot of us were getting deplatformed getting kicked off of facebook getting kicked off of yeah. youtube things of that nature so we felt that it was important to bring people together and we were really privileged to be able to work with pastor dave brian and the great people over at uh, the church of glad tidings who said they were one of those churches that one of the few which was really sad to see but that said, we are not closing. We are not closing because the government tells us to. And they endured many fines, which they mm -hmm. fought and successfully. But they, what we find is that when you make a stand, these are ultimately cowards that we're up against. Yeah. And they thrive when we blindly go along with what they're saying. But when we make a stand and we act like the Americans we should be, they back down. They're trying to do right now, Seema, is they're trying to cover their behinds because they know that as soon as this gets to a grand jury, they are done. The grand jury system was the thing that they had not accounted for in their in their evil back. It was super clever. I think whoever came up with that idea was super clever. Yeah, you um, so Judge Nally is every like every official can be held accountable, right? There's no immunity for let's say the governor or anyone else that you know enacted all these tyrannical rules and mandates. Are that can they be all every single one of them can be held accountable, right? From the Oval Office to the local dog catch, everybody in between. No one has immunity from any grand jury inquiry their scope is all inclusive you you have no immunity i have no immunity perfect the president of the united states has no immunity and the dog catcher doesn't have immunity <laughs> that's perfect um so that's i have immunity. i wanted to show because you actually had a lot of stories of people that were injured. So I'm assuming a lot of people come to you, you know, like they're probably looking for a way to hold these people accountable. Like, what would you say to anyone who's been injured from the past three years, what's been going on? I'd tell them to put all of their focus and all their energy on recovery because many of them are in the fight for their lives. I work with them daily. And these are some of the best people I've ever met in my career, in my life. They have tremendous hearts. 
and they get gaslit on both sides. Yeah. They get by the government who's offered no help to them. We've been very privileged through the um, Hope for Healing Fund that we started with the COVID con conferences. We've been very privileged to be able to help a lot of people and, and really spend, we're approaching over $100,000 that we've been able to help send out to people and also the work that I've been doing and helping to piece together what the recovery process looks like for these genetic infections. I would tell them to not get caught up in anything other than focusing on the work they have to do day in and day out to heal yeah. um, because that's a big enough fight for them. We have to be able, those of us who didn't get the shots, we have to make sure we keep them in our prayers. Uh, there's a couple people I always like to single out in interviews because I want people to know these stories. These stories are not the only ones out there, but they are important. The first one is Ernesto Ramirez Jr. Um, if you haven't heard of that story, you owe it to yourself to read that story. Ernest Ramirez has been one of our great champions. He lost his son because of the fraud and the lies, and his life ended the day that his son died. And rather than going into a hole and feeling sorry for himself, he decided to use every bit of his being to fight these bastards on behalf of his son. And I, I'm right there with him. Another story uh, that's just heart-wrenching is the story of Simone Scott. Simone Scott was an NYU student, her dream, excuse me, um, uh, she went to school in Chicago, it wasn't NYU, uh, but she was um, just wanted to be at that school. That was her whole dream. She was pursuing her lifelong dream, building for her career. And what ends up happening is she gets the shot because she was told she was going to be protecting her mom and her grandparents. Yeah. That's she awesome. gets the shot, goes into myocarditis and goes into acute uh, heart failure. They somehow get to her in time, do an open heart surgery on her, do a complete heart replacement from a donor. And because her body was still producing spike glycoprotein, from what we know today, likely as a result of genetic infections in her own microbiome, it she ended up uh, dying anyway because the second heart was consumed and she developed myocarditis again. I think it's the test case for showing that these are far from safe, far from effective. But what happened is children were murdered by these bastards. Children commit yeah. suicide. Our well, elders right. die alone. And these are situations as Americans we cannot abide by. Somebody has to be accountable for these crimes against our great nation. And the people of our great nation and the people on this team are going to do everything they can to make sure that that happens. Amen. Yeah, you guys are the heroes of today. So I appreciate everything that you're doing. And I would love for you guys to come back and maybe talk about the details of the crimes. Um, you know, the censorship still exists. So this can't be, you know, to YouTube and other places when we talk about these things. Uh, but I will post it everywhere else that I can to get the word out. And all you guys can go on their website, sign up. 
and there's a lot of materials for you to read. And if anyone's injured, I guess they can join the community and share their story uh, to, you know, join a bigger, to be able to have resources and community fellowships so they can figure out what they can do for themselves. So that's probably the biggest blessing that we, you guys have done, not only could potentially change the rights for all of us to start taking action, but then also gather and communicate the information so they nobody feels alone in this a lot of people did get injured and you know it's sad for them that they have to go through all this uh, but there is hope because we have doctors we have senators we have judges we have all you know the legal team to help support this and maybe something good will happen by another year or two years so i pray the best for december 5th and perhaps maybe we can do a podcast right after that uh, whatever the results are you bet it it's a uh, great to be able to bring this information to the public and um we look we're we're all excited about december 5th it'll be a great day for us to be in court and get to speak um, directly to this issue that's it, it so negatively impacted so yeah. many. See, but can I say one thing to the audience? Because I yeah, know there's some people sure. listening, and I, I want them to understand what we had to go through to get to our first 15 minutes in court. We had to meet every day for three years yeah. and file and file and file and make sure that we are going to be those weeds of freedom that aren't going away no matter how much they try to pull us out of the ground we're not going away it's going to take maybe not that much resolve at the county level but one of the things i want to do with everybody listening is say we've paved the way here you don't have to start from scratch but what you are going to have to do is be resilient and you're going to have to be someone who has decided that freedom is worth being persistent for and freedom is worth fighting for because that's what is at stake right now you guys are encouraging that i think we're going to get there because you did the work and i know what the legal system can do to you it's very rough it's mentally exhausting so i know that so i wish you the best and i know it's going to be some victorious because people are going to eventually get fed up too and they're going to start helping you guys and helping themselves so that's what i pray for everyone here if i may yeah to your listening audience if there is anyone listening in who is a current sitting grand juror, or you're about to become a sworn grand juror, please make a note of my name and contact information and get in touch with me if you need a witness. I will go anywhere in the continental United States at my expense to testify to a local grand jury. Wow. That's a great offer. So I'm hoping a lot of them will reach out to you. In fact, anybody who can help any of you, you know, with any skill and talent and want, you have free time or money, whatever, uh, there's definitely, you should go and help them. Um, so that's open to everybody with every skill. So thank you so much. Uh, I don't want to keep taking too much of your time, but next time, um, maybe we can talk more about this uh, in detail. Thank you for having us, young lady. Thank you. Uh, well, you guys have a great night and I will post all your links. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Great evening. You too. Blessings. Blessings, yep.